Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks, Assistant Director at the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, and I'm joined by my co-host, child and adolescent psychiatrist Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi. Child and adolescent psychiatry fellow Dr. Al Atkins. Hi, Al. Hey, Aaron. Hey, everybody. And psychiatry resident Yasmin Dakama. Hi, Yas. Hello. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR School of Medicine. All patients described here are either composite patients or have given their written consent. Let's Get Psyched is not intended to replace mental health and assessment and treatment. The information shared on the show is for educational purposes only. Well, on this episode, we're going to talk about boundaries in clinical treatment, and we're going to share some of our personal experiences um, and uh, just some of our, our stories about setting boundaries and what makes a good boundary. So as far as the first question, this is just a question that came up uh, when I was just thinking about it just a little while ago. I'm going to ask Al, Al, how do you handle when people want to know more information about you? Are there certain areas that you're going to share or not share? Does it depend on the client? the issue that, or the diagnosis. Um, oftentimes people will ask me if I've used drugs or drug history, or if I'm a parent, if I'm giving, um, you know, some sort of treatment involving parenting or something like that. How do you handle that, Al? Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, it's a good question to get things started with. So really common kind of uh, thing that differs, I think among different therapy philosophies, I've shifted a lot on this issue. So I think from just my nature as a pretty open person, I used to be, I would share a lot, uh, like in med school when I was learning and also in my previous work doing like behavior therapy. Um, I saw some study in medical school that said that basically, even when a provider shared that they share the exact same diagnosis as the patient, the patient still doesn't find self-disclosure helpful. So I sort of went to like a no self-disclosure strategy or, or policy. And then uh, more recently with, with positive psychology and positive psychiatry, they're starting to talk about effect sizes potentially being higher when the psychiatrist or uh, person providing the care shares something that they do that they're also asking the, the patient to do. So an example that was given was like, um, if you bike to work, having your bike in your office as almost like a personal trainer influence or sharing that when, when basically when you're talking about good habits, sharing that you do them is apparently like a positive way to do self-disclosure. Um, and then I also recently had a friend tell me that uh, they actually find it sort of trust building when their therapists share about themselves. So I guess you could say, consider me confused, but I've, I've lately been pretty strict with my zero self-disclosure, partly because I'm really getting into like this sort of psychodynamic phase of my therapy adolescence or whatever. Uh, and, and so I've had a few boundary issues like this year when I've struggled to share that I'm, I'm not going to share about a certain thing when I'm asked about it. And I feel kind of like I'm withholding and being able to really hold that line, but not sound harsh 
is difficult. Um, Aaron, what, what do you do and which school do you, would you say informs it? Well, I, I was trained like USC where I was, um, got my education was mostly into existential and, um, client centered. So I gravitated toward existential psychotherapy. So that, that would be my stance. I would, I want to be a real person. I know at the end of the day, I'm a real person now. So I won't, I will, I will share things like I'm a, am I from a parent, um, and, you know, if I'm married, I'm heterosexual, I'm a parent, I will share those things. I'll share my ethnicity. Oftentimes I'll volunteer that because I think sometimes I'm ambiguous. I'm like, people won't, won't know. And so they, they, they sometimes will struggle with how they feel because they don't know sometimes. Um, and I might, I might ask them this question or two of that, but uh, I'll, I'll be a real person. I'll share that. Now, this is where I draw the line though. If someone says, I want to know your experience with drugs and alcohol because i feel like i need someone that has that experience um in order to be helped i won't get into that i won't get into that history i'll just tell, i'll just tell them straight up i'll say that's a really good question now it's been my experience that share going through a personal a history of every drug that i've taken or how much i've taken it and you know whether or not i've struggled with it hasn't really helped people's treatment and I, I, I believe that to be true. I've, I've looked at some of the research on this, on the self-disclosure and things like that. It's more helpful if we keep the topic focused on things that you want to improve. Most people will just accept that. I will tell you though, when I was, my first job, my first therapy job was at a, a residential substance abuse um, treatment facility. And I did get that quite a bit because I was very really young. Have you ever struggled with any substance at all. I've ever tried anything. I got that a lot. So just saying. You know, for me, I think that my um, self, my stance, quote unquote, on self-disclosure is really informed by the first boundary crossing that I experienced with the patient where the patient was like clearly flirting with me and um, uh was attracted to me and I felt very uncomfortable because I was a medical student at the time. And so I think because of that experience, I tend to have high boundaries and I'm less, um, uh, less inclined to disclose. Um, but I think I've, I've learned from different people, different techniques, I guess you could say, so first of all, for any like learners out there listening, if you do have a patient who is clearly flirting with you, then I do recommend, this is what was told to me, is to address it in the moment um, and don't let it slide uh, because that potentially could be um, read a certain way by the patient, um, as in maybe you're okay with it. Maybe you like it, things like that. So you want to, um, just reiterate, make it very clear that this is a doctor patient relationship or, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I think I was particularly vulnerable as a medical student with that first encounter. I didn't know how to deal with it. So that has informed how my boundaries are today. So I really, I don't like to self-disclose much at all. 
Um, and then right alongside that, I was also asked what type of Asian I am and that I just found pretty offensive. So along, and then also I wasn't sure if it was alongside being, you know, sexualized as well. So, um, yeah, both of those kind of questions are, um, like to me, it felt like a boundary crossing. Like that was my experience of those sort of things. So that's why I have pretty high, high boundaries. Can I ask you, Tosh, can you, can you give me an example of how you would, uh, when you're noticing it, when you're noticing. You know, I was thinking about how it hasn't happened in a while. And I think it hasn't happened in a while because I've been working a lot with college students and also children. So it would happen when I was speaking to older men and I was a, you know, 20 something year old woman. How, how do you, can I say, how do you say it? Like, how do you, like, how do so I let's say, say you, how, like, how do you bring it up? You're supposed to bring it up early. Oh, bring up like, later. Hey, this is a doctor patient relationship. Yeah. Like, so as, first of all, what did you, what'd be a typical thing you'd notice? And then what would you then say? Oh man, it happened so long ago. <laughs> I don't even remember exactly what happened, but I could tell immediately. It was just like the feeling that a woman gets when a man is like, like coming on to her. Right. Um, but it was very, it just felt so off-putting because I'm here trying to talk to this patient. I'm seeing them as a patient very clearly, you know? So to have that enter into the equation was just like really threw me off. And um, I didn't know how to handle it professionally too. So, um, at the time I just ignored it. Cause that's, that was, you know, how I tend to ignore cat calls in public, things like that. But, um, yeah, I learned that I, I need to bring it up and say something like, Hey, um, I, I just want to iterate here that this is a professional relationship and I'm your doctor and you're my patient. Um, just want to make sure that we're on the same page with that. It's probably how I would do it now. Not sure. It hasn't happened in a long time. So I haven't honestly practiced it much. Oh, that's such an important thing on so many dimensions. I, I think first off, you're foreshadowing an area of boundaries that I really want to get into. So I'll, I guess I'll pause it for our next kind of thing that we talk about after we finish self-disclosure. We should talk all about like relationship, closeness, boundaries. And I mean, I think, you know, particularly there's such a different playing field for women versus men and like privilege comes into it and safety comes into it. And um, I think it would be really interesting to get more into that. Um, and, and, and while we're, we're still on the, the self-disclosure, like how you mentioned kind of when someone's flirting with you, you really want to keep your self-disclosure boundaries Um really minimal and that you tend to have high boundaries. I, and I think like what you said to the, to, to learners out there is so good. Um, you can really mess up your life if your boundaries aren't high and you really aren't, there's very little to lose from having high boundaries. So I would err on the side early in your career of really high boundaries that will keep you from messing up this special place that we have in therapy, the only place in our lives where we are the center of attention and our therapist is entirely focused on us. 
as soon as let's say I like, so I was home taking care of family for the last month and I went virtual and my patients could see that I was in a different place. If I start to mention, and like, you know, every once in a while, if something really needs to be explained, I alluded to this. Right. But if I start to mention like, Hey, I'm taking care of my dad. He's rough. Like now, every time they see me, they're going to check in on that. And every time like a new little bit of that is going to, uh, sort of introduce itself. It's going to flesh out. And now that's something in the room that they have to uh, take care of me about. Right. So, so like boundaries help keep patients safe from, from their own behaviors. They help keep patients safe from our behaviors. Um, they help, they help us keep ourselves safe from our behaviors and they create kind of like a wall. Um, for some reason, I'm thinking of a biblical reference. Like they say, you know, the, um, Jewish folks keep meat and milk separate. The Bible doesn't say not to mix milk and meat. It says don't boil a calf in its mother's milk. But in order to like create a fence that's so far away from that transgression that they never even have to worry about getting there, they create a more aggressive fence that's farther out from the transgression, right? And I think that's like, and forgive me if I've totally misinterpreted um, that I, <laughs> I'm not the most religiously plugged in. But uh, yeah, um, I think that's that's so important. And it keeps uh, it keeps us safe from a whole bunch of monsters that we may not even know are there, especially early in our careers. So I would say, like, follow it, even if you don't see the value just yet. Yes, what's up? Yeah, I love what you're saying being early on in training and then also early on in a career I do err on the side of higher boundaries not disclosing much I uh, the one exception I can think of actually I, I'm relating to you Aaron and Tosh when you bring up some patients are curious about where you're from I've been asked that before and sometimes I I wonder why that might be important to the patient that I'm working with. And I've asked before, but often I'll just say, oh, from a lot of places, how about you? And that has allowed them to share where they're from. However, there was one particular patient who, um, older woman, her identity was important to her in the, in the realm that she seeking help from the medical system was really hard for her having previously been um, disenfranchised by uh, society and experienced racism in the past, various things. And so she commented to me to be delighted to have a provider that was, or an attending, or, oh, wow, I want that to be, I like the term attending more than provider because you attend to things you don't necessarily provide. So I wanted to use that term, but that's very funny because I am not yet an attending. Um, but as a, like, as a resident, she, as a, medical trainee, she asked me where I'm from and was delighted to see that I was a woman from somewhere else. And that was when I shared, I'm from a lot of places. And I, I shared the geographic location rather than like exactly the country. And that I only did that because I thought it built a form of therapeutic alliance. That was something important to her because she had disclosed that. However, beyond that, I tend to, I, I, I have up to now erred on the side of, um, higher boundaries. Cause I, I agree, Al, I do think and feel that it's, it can create a dynamic that's 
not therapeutic, not helpful at all, because the the focus is entirely not on you. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's how I learned too. I got feedback from an attendee and when I asked them what I do when I get asked what type of Asian am I? And they said to turn around and say, is that important to you? Can we talk about why? So was that your intuition, Yaz, or did someone tell you to do that? Wow. I mean, I, 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 it's a combination of both. I've had amazing people I've worked with and they model things. And then at the same time, I often am curious when there's a question asked, I'm like curious why it's asked at that time. Why, if it's, why it's important, if it's important and, um, like what it might mean about the, the curiosity there. Like, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I think the way that all three of you all, y'all are handling it. Like, I think Aaron first mentioned this about kind of um, clarifying a, an ethnic identity in a way that's just enough information that, maybe you're making someone feel a little safer. I think there's a place for that if it fits into like the practice and the way that you did that. Yeah. It sounds like really beautiful. And, and, um, you know, like just saying kind of like, Hey, I'm from this region, which, um, you know, might already create some safety and keeping it non-specific enough that it can't be like, Oh yeah, let's talk about this country every time. Let's talk about the new president. Let's talk about the political instability there. Um, and I think often it's tempting when, especially for me, like earlier in my career, um, which I'm still pretty early in my career, but like uh you the patient mentions something and you're like, oh my God, I share this experience with them. And this could be such a place for kind of like a moment of shit of built rapport and and built trust because they know that we're sharing the same thing and it's so tempting and the other thing i would say is like write it down you can always share it later if it still feels like a good idea after talking to your supervisor and waiting three weeks you know that's a great idea if you're just joining us, you're, we're listening to, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR. We're talking about boundaries. We're sharing our personal experiences with them and how we've established them, gone about them. You know, I have some thoughts. Oh, we're going to interject here. It's more, I think it's um, uh, more important, or it's a very important for women, especially, to maintain good boundaries. Now, I have not read that in any kind of study or anything like that. I just know that because the way our society is, where there's a physical threat, physical, emotional, um, sexual threat, that then it makes sense for women to be a little bit more careful with those kind of things. Also for men, if like, if I'm recognizing there, there can be some personality issues uh, where boundaries are going to be a big, probably coming up quite a bit, or if there's a possible kind of, uh, you, you know, crush or something like that, or physical feelings or something like that, that doesn't happen often. I'm just going to say just right at the top then yeah, for sure, I, I will have much more strict boundaries on, in situations with those. Tosh. I, thanks for sharing, Aaron. Uh, and yes, I completely agree. It's really important for trainees, like Al said, to start with high boundaries and work your way 
towards whatever you feel comfortable with later on in your career. But especially like you said, Aaron, important for women who are learners. I think in training too, you know, we still have our attendings are, um, or at least my attendings were mostly white older men. And so I was learning from people who um, were encouraging me to um, share my cell phone number with my patients and um, give them kind of open access to me because that's the, you know, um, that was their way of practicing psychiatry, but there was no way I was going to do that. No way. And I tell my residents the same thing, like, you know, if you don't feel comfortable with that, do not do that. Right. I think that's really good. And, um, I think it's good that you're, you're, that you're doing this early on in the session too, because it's almost like people, there's a lot of folks that don't really know about therapy or understand the roles or what or what type of roles and relationships makes the most effective therapy. So I think it's a good kind of conversation to have in definitely in the first session, maybe even a little bit in the second session about um, this is how, this is our relationship and this is how it's going to be like and how it's going to proceed. And also if you, I work on a campus, so I, it's very common to see my clients walking around on campus. So prepare them for that. Talk about, you know, what would happen if you, if you ran into them and things like that. Yeah, Tosh, when you, Absolutely, Aaron, to be running into a client on knowing that you would run into them on campus and then having that conversation. I feel like that's that's really thoughtful. I also, in the realm of providing a phone number, I cannot imagine that in a psychiatric relationship. It makes me think about the boundary of time. And also the only place I can think of, and I've not yet trained in this or seen the model be performed, but I think of DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, and where there are there there is a team structure where a few people, I, I don't know if it's one or a couple people of this DBT team provide a patient with a phone number and access in moments of crisis um, to help with like emotional dysregulation and challenges there. But other than that, personally, I'm like, oof, to provide a phone number other than like a clinic number, let's say, um, hospital number, I, I cannot imagine. That reminds me of time, a boundary with time and yeah. Yeah, I, I've actually had several mentors who provided their number to patients. And the thing they always said was like, I've, I've heard this from so many different people, like they don't abuse it. Um, I think that really depends on how good your boundaries are um, and like what relationship you're setting up with them and how you're communicating about the use of that phone number. I think it's also really important to make sure that you have attendings in your circle, your mentor circle, who, who are, you know, uh, um, women, uh, ideally women of color, if you're a woman of color who can walk you through what their boundaries are, how they've come to find their boundaries and things like that. I love that, yep. Tosh. And not only not only seeing that model, but even asking. I love that. Yeah. You know, also on the idea of time, I'm just going to be honest. The biggest boundary issue for me is time. It's like I spend too much time sometimes. I don't stop it at 45 because I want to help people so much. 
And then I end up going a little bit over. I, so I'll acknowledge that. And then, but you know, sometimes you, you, you analyze this, a lot of my psychodynamic colleagues will say, look at, analyze why, who are the people that you're spending too much time with or more time, you're always going over. What kind of psychological issue, what kind of relationship is being established where you're wanting to come in kind of paternalistically and, and then help them more? A hundred percent. I think that the journey of residency is so much switching from the medical student mindset of like, oh my God, I hope my patients like me to the attending mindset of this confidence in that, in like the work that you do, you know, and not necessarily needing to people please your patients. Because if you're people pleasing with your patients, that's when you're giving benzos, that's when you're doing, you know, stuff that shouldn't be done that has got our field into problems. So um, I, I think that's the journey of, of residency, switching, switching that mindset. Well said. Yeah, that's, that's so important. And I, I find that I'm sort of still going through that. And, and, and there's, I find that boundaries also come in contact with ego stuff. And I want to bring it back to relationship, but I'm going to say this piece. Cause I think what you said was interesting. Um, you know, like another thing about boundaries can be for me, at least as a trainee can be not selling yourself, not, not feeling like, uh, you're getting bullied into, um, reciting your pedigree or whatever qualifications make you feel like you're great. Um, I've had a bunch of times, I think sometimes through like a power dynamic where the patient's kind of trying to push me in, like kind of see, test the limits. But other times, just out of not knowing, I've been referred to as a medical student or whatever. And, and you know, like the thing that has, I think, come to my head a lot, especially at the beginning of um, fellowship and stuff and, and the beginning of this year is like, I'm a board certified psychiatrist. Fellowship is optional. You know, temptation to like throw out which place, which schools I went to, blah, blah, blah. Like, and I did that a few times in what I thought were, you know, Wait, as, as humble as I could, but they were so, it was so icky. And then my attending was like, she said something so brilliant. It was like, if you want to show them this patient's coming at you with their distress and they're sort of testing whether someone's so young appearing and um, so sort of like maybe privileged appearing or like not appearing to have gone through the same socioeconomic like at one point they commented that I don't have any tattoos and like you know just not appearing to have gone through the same maybe class struggles that they have the attending said you don't have to say anything about your qualifications just wait till they get finished talking even if it's kind of challenging you the patient had said something like um oh I don't know if you're going to be able to handle me like, I'm so messed up. You don't, you've never seen anyone like me. And the attending was just like, take a deep breath, slowly and confidently say, I'm going to be able to help you. It's going to be okay. And you're doing a good job. And just like a confident reassurance can be mm. all that's needed. I think so much of like the psychodynamic learning I've done this year has been the art of saying a lot with very little and not needing to like being able to respectfully and kindly set these boundaries in a way that actually repairs and builds rapport rather than breaking. 
well, let's wrap it up. This is the episode that we talked about boundaries. And we're at the end here. I also want to thank our co-hosts, Toshi Yamaguchi, Al Atkins, and Yasmin Dakama. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions to the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com. You can listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform, as well as enjoy an extended version of the show. And if you like tonight's show, please follow us and post a review. Our producer is Elliot Fong. Our production assistants are River Evans and Megan Aguilera. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.